well because I mean it comes back to the core we are as human beings we're we, we've got adaptability as a skill set like we've evolved as humans because we've adapted to survive like when we take it as raw as survival you have to adapt to survive when when kind of it's all hitting the fan like the only ones that are going to survive are those that have adapted to find a different way and they've they've moved with the change those that get stagnant don't so when it's as simple as life or death you have to adapt to overcome Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Now to Next. Uh, this is Nick Nanton here for another uh, fun conversation. I've got a new friend here with me today, Laura Penhall. And before I let her say too much, I'm going to give you just a brief bio on her that we, we are going to get into some really interesting aspects of uh, human performance, I think, at the end of the day is, is where we're going to go. And I, for one, am... Uh, fascinated, mesmerized by hu- human resilience and the human spirit. And I know through Laura's work, she understands it a lot better than I do. So we're going to dig in. So I'm going to give read a short bio. I know death by reading on camera, but I'm, it's going to be short. Um, tennis champ Naomi Osaka, long-distance cyclist Mark Beaumont, and the British Paralympic team all have one thing in common. The mental and physical preparation of these athletes was overseen by Laura Penhall. Laura is a physiotherapist by trade who is well-known in the sports world for her work with high-profile athletes and as lead physiotherapist for the British Paralympic team at the Paralympic Games in 2010, 2012, and 2016. She is skilled at understanding the mentality of athletes and the challenges they face because she is truly put herself in in their shoes in 2015 listen to this laura was the team leader of the first all-female crew to row the pacific ocean an incredible feat that is captured in the documentary losing sight of shore and that earned her two world records which i did not know today is the five-year anniversary of returning so i'm honored we're doing that so that's cool and then laura embarked on this journey in hopes of gaining insight into what her athletes go through when faced with the question of wanting to give up since accomplishing the cross ocean row laura has founded a company adaptive performance that provides performance management support to optimize people's abilities and help them reach their potential on the field and off we'll talk about that laura's specialties are focused on human-centered performance and she thrives on helping people find the drive within themselves to overcome any challenges or obstacles in their way even outside of the elite sporting world please welcome laura penhall laura happy Mm -hmm. anniversary thank you for joining me here today yeah thanks ever so much nick and um yeah it's it's so great to have this with you today or to chat to you today on a, a very poignant time for us yeah five years to the day when we we actually finished so yeah lots of lots of emotional nice um good memories right now that we're reminiscing on it's great i love that you know there's so much to talk about but while we're on that uh, on that topic because i i want to talk some about that role but it is a subject of and i'm picky about documentaries uh i watch a very good documentary called losing side of shore you should check it out i don't want to give away all the punchlines here so i'm not going to go so deep into that story because people can watch it but we'll talk some about it but one of the things i find that's amazing that people like We've heard the phrase a million times, begin with the end in mind. All right, so you began with this mm-hmm. idea to raise money for breast cancer to test yourself. And you, with the 
vision, the dream of completing this, making world records. I mean, my understanding too, they keep, everyone talks about being the first all female crew to row unassisted. I'm pretty sure it's the first crew to row unassisted, right? And, yeah. and to accomplish many world records. But one of the things I find so fascinating about human performance and human resiliency, I was actually talking to some friends uh, a few minutes ago at lunch about this. Like I could climb Everest, but I really, the, the adrenaline of being at the top of Everest or reaching Australia only lasts so long, right? Mm -hmm. So I think so many times we, we pursue these major life goals with an expectation that my life is going to be completely different after this. Uh, and it is because you found something in yourself that you proved to yourself you could do what you thought you could do in a way and you tested yourself. But then there's sort of this, once that realization and the adrenaline wear off, um, we're back with more challenges, whether it's all these financial challenges, all these other challenges in life. And so I'd love to just go with you for a minute to like the journey, what the journey was like from something that took you years to set out to do, you mm -hmm. accomplish it. It's very celebrated. I'm sure you're sore as hell. I mean, all these things and hungry and all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like what was the next week? month, two weeks, obviously I'm sure some of it was just like physical rehabilitation, but what was that like? What was the mental journey coming back from this amazing feat? Yeah, no, it's a great question because I think it's so overlooked and, and people talk about post-expeditions of having the post-expedition blues, you know, and kind of dropping off that sort of just not knowing then what the next focus is. And, and in all honesty, I, I kind of, I knew those stories. I was aware of those. And I guess my personality type was very much about planning. It's always about goals. It's always that what's next, what's next, you know? So when we started the row, I was already thinking about what we're going to do when we get to Hawaii. When I get to Hawaii, I'm thinking about what we do when we get to Samoa. We get to Samoa and I'm thinking about the finish line. When we get to finish line, I was then thinking about the Paralympic Games 2016. I was thinking about Rio and like, so I, we literally, yes, we said, celebrated at the finish and that that feeling and like you said there that that adrenaline and all of those emotions I to this day I can still draw on those and be so overwhelmed with kind of that that sense of achievement because there was so much in that kind of from the the feeling of just seeing my family and just how relieved they were that we'd finished and I hadn't really put myself in that headspace of how much I'd put them through so knowing that we'd done what we'd done and we got there safely and successfully was huge and also everything that we'd overcome and then it was like oh my god well it felt like forever when we we're out there and now suddenly this finish line you you finish line and then you're gone like you're past it so that nine months felt like it was nine years when you're in it but then suddenly when you finish it's, it's as if that nine months didn't even have you know it was like a snapshot it was really short-lived so there, there's all of those but then also after that as you said kind of that sort of next week next two weeks I mean I went back to work two weeks later I kind of was like right you know do the media stuff get back we did a media tour and we got back to the UK and then then sort of I was straight into right well what's going on with my athletes I've done this because I want to support them and I'm all about 2016 so with Rio it's like right well, what's going on there I need to I need to get back up to speed with with where those athletes are what's happened in the last nine months kind of who's doing what what's their performance and all this stuff and so literally went back to work and they were like what are you doing here so soon like you you know you need to take some time I was like no no, no I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and then basically three months, you know, two months into it, we were traveling to Rio to do a, a dry run of stuff. And and I was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I basically crashed and burned about three months in. 
um, was absolutely shattered, wasn't sleeping well, just was really mind blown on everything of just like to the point where because you come back and you go back to your house, you go back to your bed where, you you know, you're thinking about that for so long in the in the middle of the ocean. But then you come back to it and it's all still so normal. And I think you have this sense of like this shouldn't feel normal. I've been I've done that. But this is now back into reality. This is like normal life and it should feel different. And it kind of, because it doesn't feel different, that's the bit that's the sort of the headspace piece. It gets really confusing. And the the, the point though with me, there were some things that had changed a lot. Like my best mate, when I'd left, you know, they'd just got married. I came back nine months later. Not only had they moved house, got a dog, she got pregnant and had the baby. Like, I was like, oh, my God, you're completely changed. Like, what is going on? And then another thing was, and this is really stupid, but silly little things. Like, I remember getting on a bus uh, outside of my house and I, in London and I went to went to pay for it. And they were like, well, we don't take cash anymore. Like, I was like, what do you mean you don't take cash? And they're like, it was contactless. And I was like, what's contactless? <laughs> And it was like as if we'd been into this warp for, I was like, have we really been away that long? Like, I know nine months is a win, but seriously, I feel like we've just done a, you know, back to the future type thing. Um, so in those early stages, there were elements that felt so normal, it felt weird. And then there were other things that seemed to have moved on, you know, beyond what I'd recognised. So there was lots of turmoil in that sense. And then as I said, three months in, I physically had crashed and burned. I kept trying to do exercise and I couldn't. Uh, and I'd just get ill because my physiology, my kind of, you know, we just ruined ourselves and I'd lost so much weight and all of that. And then, of course, then, you know, a year down the line or so, again, you have those, well, now what? And even that three years down the line of thinking, yeah, but I've done the row, like how there's got to be something more now. It doesn't need to be a bigger expedition, but because that wasn't what it was about but it is about well what's the next kind of how do I apply this and utilize this in the best way possible to to share this story and make the most of this uh, I love it now I, I have to ask you and I think a big piece of this is that um, really when we set out for something I've never done something that insane so uh, I can't speak to that but when we set out to do these things we really our we really are um, setting out to prove something to ourselves and the world. I mean, we have a lot of these I, these preconceived notions, but re- really, um, they're just a they're a dot in our journey, right? In our map. Exactly. And as much as I yeah. hear it, I try to heed it. Life is literally about the journey, but we're constantly looking for what is ahead. And so, mm-hmm. I, I imagine being somewhat disconnected for nine months was. Uh, torturous at times and beautiful at times. And so mm. I, I, and nine months, you, you reminded me nine months is actually a long time. Like, you know, day to day, that's like a long time to be out of touch. I, before I move on, I got to make this comparison because it really sounded like when you were talking about getting back uh, to work two weeks later, it sounds an awful lot like, like grief. It sounds an awful lot like these mm. moments were tested with where, you know, we have a traumatic moment or event in our life and we try to just push through it. We literally try to muscle through it because what you had just spent nine months doing was pushing through and muscling through it. Yet you've now come to the end of that journey. So whether that's taking care of a loved one who has a, a terminal illness or, you know, even a 
overnight someone is suddenly gone or any sort of grief. I mean, what advice would you have for someone based on what you've been through um, to, to maybe process whatever it is you've experienced, whether it's a major journey like you went or uh, just a major life event or a, a grief event? Like, I don't know, what, what parallels could you draw from me then? What advice would you have? Yeah, no, again, great question, Nick, because it's um, there are a number of parallels and I see it from a point of view of even in, you know, when we travel away in a sport context, you you go into a bubble. So it's about these bubbles that we might experience in different shapes and forms. And the, the closest I can relate to that is, you know, when we go away in the Olympics, it's like you're, you're closed off from the outside world for six weeks, usually to do the Olympic Games and to prep and all of that stuff. And suddenly only you know what's gone on in that bubble and the team around you. But the outside, your family, your friends, other people have no idea what that that is so therefore we come out of that and it's it, yeah it feels disjointed you feel in a bit of a, a a different space and that can be frustrating and like you say from a you know a grievance process I think lots of things we actually do experience is akin to a, a grievance process like we know that when we lose something and this is where I've seen it in Paralympics or sort of not Paralympics but the journeys they've been on somebody that's been injured significantly they've lost a limb they've you know ended up being unfortunately spinally cord injured they're going to be in a wheelchair for their life that's a grievance process they've lost the life that they knew and they've now are, are on a path to have to remold that and to move forwards and that's no different to losing a you know a loved one and somebody you care about it's the same kind of grievance process that you have to go through that um you've got to get to that point of acceptance and to get to acceptance sometimes there is this process of anger frustration kind of you know resentment to the situation and that's normal like and that's okay to feel that but it's it's about how long do you feel that for before you can move to get to that point of acceptance? And if you try and skip that and you go, everything's okay, it's okay, it's okay, actually it isn't. And it'll crop up later down the line, you know, if you've not gone through the normal process of grievance. In that essence, when grievance is a crucial thing of a loss of a loss of a life that you've known. Now, in a expedition in a sport context and talking about you know going to the olympics or doing the row that's different obviously for a number of reasons but on a simpler level i still apply a bit of a similar transition space and for me personally i i use a bit of a three days three weeks three months rule well not rule but it, it seems to be, be very comparable to that that if i've been in a bubble of some sorts and therefore now I'm not in that bubble, I'm not in a life that I've just known for the past six weeks, nine months, whatever. I kind of need three days in my own headspace. I need three days of nobody else outside of my bubble to, to kind of just be me, to, to wake up when I want to wake up, to, to watch a movie if I want to, to have no demands, have no, no expectations on me in that sort of window. And then usually it's about three weeks, it seems to take me personally to get a bit more integrated back into seeing friends or other family that are outside of that bubble that I've just been in right. and for them to start for me to be able to articulate in a way that doesn't feel frustrating that they don't understand what I've just been doing or what I've gone through and vice versa and then it's about three months to kind of get back into the real thrive of right what's next what's forward thinking um, and in essence that's kind of built on that in a way the sort of much stronger bigger level of grievance where you go it takes 
usually about three years to help to move forward in a grievance process. Um, and even if I see people currently going through like a mental health difficulty of COVID right now, it's it's rife. It's, you know, we're recording this in a in sort of a year down the line. There's people that still talk now about when we go back to normal, when we go back to the life that we knew. And it's like people haven't accepted what we're actually currently in and until you get to that acceptance you'll be in a, a transition space of frustration and denial so until you can get to acceptance of this is what it is only then can you start to to move forward and that's kind of how I find it is in a comparable space I love that um as you uh, by the way I would imagine uh well not imagine that also takes discipline it's interesting like you know those those three days to yourself um it, it's sort of like I don't know when when so, when you see someone else's mental health or you can see someone making bad decisions. You're like no no no, you just need to take a few days. You're like no, oh, I got this. But like that the the mm-hmm. taking those three days to yourself and not like just you know giving in to just going all out into the world or you know feeding yourself McDonald's all of a sudden because you want that, but your body's probably going to reject it or whatever it is, yeah. right? Whatever your, your, your cravings are to like, let yourself have the time. There's, there's a ton of wisdom in that. Um, you, you're from England. Obviously people can tell by your accent. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went to Oxford university. You knew you wanted to be a physiotherapist from young because your mother was a nurse. You got to see many of the mm-hmm. angles of this. You saw how physiotherapists, uh, interacted with your aunt, uh, or your aunt, if you're more, uh, uh more <laughs> cultured than I am. But what I think is really interesting is you, you got into working with rugby players and sports, but where it really, mm-hmm where it really hit me was you started talking about um, your first job uh, was working at the National Health Service in the Trauma Center in Oxford. And mm-hmm. you you noticed that people who came in with significant injuries, such as a lost limb, the same thing could happen to two people, but their mindset is what really, uh, what really set them apart. Tell me a bit mm-hmm. about the differences of how two different people might, might come in from something similar and how they would sort of attack it mentally and walk me through where you started having that realization that, wait a second, it's, it's a mind, you know, obviously the thing that happened, happened. The mm-hmm. mindset is the thing I could affect. Tell me about that journey a bit. Yeah, no, it's, um, that journey of when you, you know, you, you kind of also see it in a, in a military context. If somebody unfortunately has got injured at war and, and you've got two soldiers that have been blown up by an IED, um, then, yeah, that's exactly that, that they kind of, I know stories where people have just woken up and gone, thank God I'm alive. Like, thank God I'm alive. I'm going to make the most of this right now. But then you've got somebody else has woken up and same injuries and they've gone, oh my God, why has this not killed me? Like, you know, this is the worst, this is the worst thing for me. Now, there is mindset is a big piece but there's also I'm not you know I'm not sort of ignoring the fact that it's also about multitude of factors that influence that mindset and influence that kind of approach from who have you got around you that's supporting you and how they sort of the language they use and kind of all of that stuff like if you haven't got loved ones necessarily there and you are you know needing to fight this on your own like that there's a multitude of things that plus your experiences you know from where you were before what your ambitions were all of these things all a multitude multifactorial in kind of how you're going to approach that that situation and and it's okay. I think that's the biggest thing I would say is 
it's okay to be angry with it. Like that's that's normal. That's as we said with a grievance point of view, it's okay to be sort of angry for a period of time, but it's recognizing that's where you're in and it's then recognizing how to move forward and, and get out of that. Um, and that for me, when I was working in the trauma center, you would see that routinely. Unfortunately, people that have been in horrendous road traffic accidents, we're a, a trauma center of excellence. And, you know, yes, as physios, the point is, is you are aiming to always optimize function, return to kind of like whether it's walking ability, neurological rehab, if people have had head injuries and stuff. And it and it does amaze me both by the sheer determination and mindset of an individual, but also that family support that's around them. And and kind of I've seen that influence so, so strong with people that you think there's no way they're going to be able to function. And I've seen people be literally significant head injuries, not able to sit for themselves or talk or focus on anything to a year and a half later, they are up walking because they've had constant support from from family members and knowing speaking to a family their mindset is somebody that's very driven very very focused and and they're able to sort of draw on that so there are those things for sure um and it's how we as therapists can then tap into that to to really understand and listen to the person and i think that's the thing that i get frustrated in a therapy space is i see people want to just go through the wheels in motion from a career point of view and you're like no there's a person sitting in front of you and this person is struggling and until you understand why they're struggling and what their angers are what their frustrations are and help them to deal with that to move forwards then you're never going to get the most out of that individual I love it you have sort of a theme of seeing solutions not barriers and to me that's mm -hmm. just an interesting way of attacking mindset to begin with. I mean, if we if we see something in front of us, we can either turn back. Uh, mm -hmm. And by the way, knowing when to turn back, like you guys, we'll talk about that in a second, in, in the sort of first leg of your row, mm -hmm. is, is important too. Like you're, you're not, none of us are robots. We're human beings. So knowing when to turn mm -hmm. back, but also seeing the opportunity for, you know, this is a really interesting one because I have three kids, 15, 13, and nine. And mm -hmm. it's really hard to try to help them understand what like um, outside of the, the context of of human boundary, which is very important, uh, and sexuality, and all this, but like when no really mm. means no, like when, like mm. if I, if sometimes my kids will ask a teacher something, I'm like, you gave up with one no, like, come on, like you don't do that at home. You like press and press and press, and like, but it's a really interesting thing for us to to learn and and for me to teach my children, like like how to be more persistent on certain things, because mm -hmm. you know it, it's funny. I've taken my two older ones down to this orphanage in Mexico, and they like we've missed mm -hmm. flights before, but. We ended up getting another flight despite how many no's I got. And, and hopefully I'm serving by example and leading them by example of like, well, I'm going to be respectful, but like I'm not quite sure this person – well, I know for sure this person is not as interested in me getting to where I'm going as I am. Like let's just start yeah. there. Yeah. Second of all, like how can you respectfully – keep pushing and being perseverant but while being respectful like i don't know i i just got thought it's just an interesting because it's a really hard thing to teach i bet well i mean and that's the fascinating thing when you've got kids like seeing them grow up and then kind of you know you've you've developed your own mindset your own sort of state but you don't know really 
where that came from to a certain extent you know your parents would have had an influence on it you know right. nature versus nurture and all of that stuff but we don't start really asking those questions until we're sort of 18 years plus you know those first 18 years of our life you know we have no idea of the influences around us like we we're not going to ask those questions it, our, our brains aren't they haven't developed that much yet so so kind of but then as you as a parent like it I mean it does it fascinates me and it also scares the heck out of me for when I ever have kids because I'm like I am stubborn I am absolutely stubborn as a mule that's what has helped me get successful but I'm like you I will be tenacious when I think no there's you know I'm not leaving a stone left unturned here like that is not answering my question so I'll find a way and I'm like oh god if I've got that which has come from my mum and I've now doubled it then yeah my kid's gonna be triple as stubborn as me but you know yeah it's it's all learning isn't it evolving and and it is yeah it's all learning and and that is the best part about it if you can sort of surrender and learn I learned a long time ago through some friends and through uh, actually this bible study I did years ago like number one um you so first of all the funniest thing to me and my wife I was laughing I know it's a, a normal uh, experience, but like you expect your kid, like the first one, like to be exactly like you. Cause it's like, <laughs> Oh, it's like just a little me and I'm, or at least have half of my tendencies. But then like my first one is super introverted and shy, which I am not. Um, <laughs> if you couldn't tell, um, but I'm like, and so I'm like, now I'm trying to process this. And you so, and then second, then we have a second child and you expect, Oh, well, it'll, it'll be just like the first one because it's just like another me and my yeah. wife. And then, not at all. Third one, not on there. All three, literally different human beings. Uh, they all think differently. Yeah. And so I learned a long time ago to surrender to the fact that like, um, my, uh, well, here's a great example. My son is turning 16 in March and my parents, I had more love than I could spend, but things were tight around the age I was. And so they helped me as much as they could, but I saved my money. I, I bought my mom's old car from her. I paid for my car insurance. I paid for gas. Again, they helped whenever they could, but it was just uh, just the time in life. Yeah. We were immigrants, and they were, they were working through a lot of things, which was great. And again, yeah. I would, I'd much rather have a parent that's supportive than money yeah. and no support. But you know, as I'm going through like looking at the journey for my son, like – I, you have to realize too, like, well, I had a job at his age. I said, but like, but my life is not his life. Like it doesn't need to be. And there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a whole, I think a whole pride thing in parents where like they Mm -hmm. do it for one of multiple reasons. Like one, I'm doing it. You're going to have to do it because I had to do it, which is not always many times not healthy or that's not the way to think about it for sure. Like I want him to have responsibility, but like what is his journey? How do I teach him the things I learned out of necessity? How could I Mm -hmm. nurture him there? And and still he could get the same lesson number two, or it's like, well, I didn't have this. So I'm going to go to the hill. So like, I find like, I'm not judging because it depends on where it comes from in your heart. But I think a lot of parents who buy their kids new BMWs or new Mercedes for their birthday. It's not, I don't think it's about the kid. I think it's about their own ego and like they want people to know I came from wherever and I can afford to buy that for my kid. It's so interesting as a parent, like just navigating this stuff of like, well, what the story I'm telling myself, the story I thought I understood and then analyzing it through someone who you're trying to experience, help experience a positive, healthy version of whatever it is you did. And it's just the the whole thing is just uh, there's no – no instruction manual, as they say. But I think, you know, 
I think it's really important. That's why I love conversations like this. Like hopefully someone hearing this is like, oh, I feel better. Like me too. You know, or they feel yeah. or like, oh, maybe that's another way I could approach it. Uh, and I'm always learning. I mess things up all the time as well. <laughs> um, as that's as you're looking at you, know, sorry, go ahead. If you have a response to that. Well, no, I was just going to say on that point, I think there's also the element of it's really difficult. Like we have to learn as adults, as you we always want to learn as kids, as adults, it's got to be ongoing, but I mean, even now, you know, your kids at, at the age of 15 coming into 16, it's a different generation. So right. it's a different world. Like his world is completely different to the world you had at that same age. Like life, the world has moved on. We've had, you know, various iterations of it. So therefore, it can't be the same replication. But then for your mind and your learnings to enable you to step into his life in a sense that you go okay I can see this coming at him now and I want to nurture him towards that but it's hard like because you're only going to see life through your lens so being adaptable having a different perspective and a perspective as a 16 year old when you're you know 30s 40s whatever then um yeah it's it's hard Uh, yes difficult uh but you know uh difficulty brings uh progress and brings joy just typically not instant gratification joy which (laughs) so many of us have become addicted to um you started getting into working with Paralympians, which I think is fascinating. You you did the Paralympics in 2010 in Vancouver, Paralympic Games in 2012 in London, and 2016 in Rio. Mm. Let's talk about working with Paralympians. You talked a little bit about it, but uh, one of the things we talked early on in our initial conversations was it is interesting. The Paralympics is so so broad that um, it, it people – aren't quite sure what to do with it, but there's mm-hmm. like, I mean, Oscar Pistorius is a sort of a tragic story of how we look at, or probably one of our, most of our first engagements with a Paralympian because he made it to the main stage of the mm-hmm. Olympics. But what we, most of us don't know is there's a whole other Olympics that's going on for Paralympians that in many cases is more mind blowing than people who don't have, you know, these, these, uh, infirmities or ailments or these these things mm. have happened in their lives tell us a bit more about the paralympics and, I, and we did address the fact that some of the inconsistencies with how it's treated you know it some of it ranges basically from like special olympics to uh, olympics with with missing limbs so it is sort of hard to get a gauge on it but talk about yeah just your experience in the paralympics overall yeah i mean i i always i loved it kind of because and i went into it because i always strive to find people's abilities over their disabilities so that doesn't matter if you've got a twisted ankle or you're a single leg amputee like it's about the person in front of you and kind of you know any one of us tomorrow unfortunately touch wood it doesn't happen but any one of us could have an accident tomorrow and life a massive curveball could be thrown at you and life could change so you know having worked from through I suppose a journey where I've been surrounded by people that have been in a road traffic accident that wasn't their fault and they've now been they've gone through life-changing sort of um yeah disabilities unfortunately then kind of seeing from that end through to a journey where actually that's happened to somebody but they've then gone on to be Paralympian they've been able to create a new identity for themselves they've they you know that's what they're known for they've found sport and it's given them independence it's given them control all of these things that we just get so complacent with when you're able you know we're able-bodied and we're kind of just we don't have any restrictions and to to think like Again, I bring it back to the COVID stuff, but some people are so down on on what COVID is right now. And it's like, 
but you don't see the different perspectives. Like if you could just step outside of your own bubble, you'd realize how flipping lucky you are. You know, you, you haven't been hit by a car and you're now spinally cord from the neck down. You know, it's not taking you three hours just to get up in the morning and to maintain some independence, to have a shower, to get out the front door, to have everything adapted. And, and so I grab so much inspiration and motivation from the people that I've worked with that have then gone on to not only survive in life and adapt to find their abilities to just function in day-to-day life, cooking, cleaning, washing, whatever. They've gone from that into actually they're on the main stage. They're, they're elite athletes. They're training at a, a top level. They're Even if that training is kind of adapting to make the most of muscles that they've got which could be minuscule you know small muscles that because they can only shrug their shoulders but they're making the most of that to give them more independence to give them more function and then they're able to get onto a competing stage which is international and they're learning to be able to adapt to get onto planes to be just to maintain that independent lifestyle I think there's so much to be taken from that and it just makes you certainly has made me feel like we just can't take life for granted and and it frustrates me when I see people that do um because they've not been exposed to it and that's not their fault but I'm like if only you could expose that and one of the one of the the films on Netflix I love is um Unbroken if you've ever seen that film or you've read that book um you know I love that because that just showed the tenacity, the perseverance and how you can have a strong mindset to continue to believe and believe and believe and get the most out of yourself, regardless of the situation. And and he's a he's a great icon from that point of view of, of and that being a true story. And in the in the Paralympic context, that's that's basically what I just loved. I loved trying to help people find what their abilities were, see how much they could get out of themselves, and whether that was as a single leg amputee or whether that was somebody that had cerebral palsy, they had um, you know, uh, either a birth defect when they were a child or whatever. It didn't matter to me. It was about how can we get the best out of them? And the Paralympics gives that opportunity. And as a therapist, it meant I could be pretty holistic and adaptable to how I was approaching stuff. It was very outside the box. And I've gone from that back into the Olympic arena and elite sports world with British sailing on, you know, with able-bodied and you, 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 we go to the absolute nth degree and nitty gritty of trying to get as much function out of each particular muscle, tendon, physiology set, you know, so we just know the human body to the nth degree. And that's, that's kind of why I ended up then setting up adaptive performance because I wanted to take what I've learned from working with finding people's abilities whether that's in Paralympics or Olympics or on the elite stage with tennis or whatever world it is and applying that to everybody because the point is we've all got different Pacific that we cross and it isn't about rowing a Pacific but it might well be there's a hurdle that's thrown at you whether it's business that you're setting up whether it's having a family for the first time whatever it might be it's going to be a challenge that you face with. And so I just like to support and help people to find their abilities, to find those solutions to overcome their specifics. I love it. And I love uh, one of the things that we learned from, you know, you help people rewrite the stories that people are telling themselves. It's so amazing that we've, we've heard it in many different ways, but the narrative we tell ourselves is typically, I mean, fa- false. It's a, it's a 
self-constructed narrative and I haven't been nearly to the brink that you have in, in training or rowing for nine months. But, you know, I did, uh, I was invited to speak at the, for army Rangers here in the U S and, and I, they invited me to do their army ranger course alongside these, these soldiers who are about to deploy. And multiple times I thought I was going to explode, but I was like, you know, if these guys are doing it on both sides, I mean, they're in fatigues and they're about to deploy, like the least I could do is not give up or like until I pass out, I will keep going. (laughs) But it's amazing how it's sort of just that, that narrative goes away and it's then all of a sudden like, Oh, it's just, I just got to make that next hundred meters. And once I get to there, I just got to jump that wall. Once I get over that wall, I got to get to the next one. And you just start, yeah. you start working from a different, a different space, which I imagine in super traumatic experiences is what your, what your brain and body would do anyway. I just got to get myself yeah. to the next, whatever. I can't give up. I can't just let go. I got to keep crawling or walking or whatever it is. Um, the other thing I, I love is that, you, we had a long discussion about this. That human performance is what you teach, but you are more interested in the, in the human. Like you, yeah. you put the human over performance. You do a lot of athletic stuff, but one of the things I love is that you want to help people develop their full potential, not just on the field or the court, but in life. And I found it even more fascinating. I just want to ask you about. You found that people who have a well balanced life, they have other things other than sport because that's what you normally deal with. They actually respond much better and perform better because they have a more balanced approach to their overall life and sport is just a big part of their life but it's not everything i think that's really fascinating yeah i it kind of i mean don't get me wrong it depends what your goals are like if somebody's setting their goal that they want to be a world number one at a very young age then you've got to be laser focused in in kind of making that happen if you set a timeline on it but if if you want to succeed in in sort of life and still be that world number 1 or be that top performer there's there's certain sports that yes by a certain age you kind of statistics shows you have to have achieved x y and z in order for you to get up on that main stage but there are certain sports where you go well you can develop all of that kind of you know the experience the skill the the kind of the physiology the adaptation all of those physical beings with it but also how do you give yourself that platform that means you've got other things to support you so if you get injured you're not feeling like like that's the worst thing your identity is swiped out from underneath you and i guess in the role as a physio we see that too frequently in that somebody gets injured doing the sport that they love and then it's all about it becomes so medicalized that oh my god I've got to get this knee but I've got to get it back got to get it back and I'm not joking you can see post-op like you can predict who's going to have a a blooming post-op infection for instance or because they're so drawn to kind of it's got I've got to get this it's got to be on time it's got to be this and it there's so much stress and focus on it versus those that are like right I'm doing the right stuff I'm eating well I'm hydrating well I'm going to take this rest and I'm just going to let things heal and then I'm going to do this and they're just a lot calmer they're more settled and often those ones that are able to do that either they've gone through a few things before or they actually have a pretty good balance where they're in a relationship they might have um, a business that they're running alongside stuff or they've got ambitions to they've gone and done education or they're running sort of study and stuff alongside things and they're able to balance things fairly well and it doesn't it's not that easy to balance things alongside full-time sport but um 
there are some people that I suppose I see in our sporting history, if I take out like Jess Ennis-Hill is a very good example, which I'm sure you guys are aware of in sort of heptathlon in, in athletics. You know, she's a phenomenal athlete, clear, clear laser focus, absolutely optimizes the quality of her training, will turn up, but you can see it like, you know, when she's there and when she commits and when she um, competes, sorry. But outside of that, she keeps her private life private and is now, you know, she's got a family and has gone on to gone on to do her own thing. And you, But she's, you know, she's not been defined solely on, on that athlete status. She's not completely sacrificed all elements of her life. And there's a number of athletes that I see that are like that, um, that I just take my hats off because I think, you know what, you've, you've got the balance right. You've kind of, you know that if worst case scenario something happened over here and your sport was taken away you've still got a foundation of your pillars of you um and that's something i think is very powerful and it is more and more coming into sport i don't know what it's like over with you guys in america we now have roles called performance lifestyle roles that are within the elite system and that role for is a discipline that is very much about actually how can we optimize this time in sport to transition when you come to transitioning out so it's not an afterthought it's not um you know when sport finishes all oh, right now how can we help you into returning into reality not reality that's the wrong word but you know thriving in in a business or in life which is completely disjointed from from the bubble of sport so um there's those roles are starting to evolve which is great and athletes are starting to see the benefit of actually how it gives them something back into their sport and gives them energy and gives them sort of support system in place. I love that. And a big part of it, balance is often hard to find, but I've always found, so you can always overdo it, but I've always found to an extent, the more, the more things I have that I'm working on, um, like when I was in school, when I had school and sports and a job, I was really efficient at all three because it wasn't like, oh, I got eight hours to get this workout done or to do this yeah. homework. Or to, It was like, oh, if I'm not efficient, I, I'm not yeah. going to ever get this done, which it is finding that balance. Um, all right. So you rode across the Pacific. Um, there's a great documentary. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Everyone should check it out called Losing Side of Shore. The You and three other women – Rode unassisted across the Pacific from, well, San Francisco, you got turned back at one point uh, mm -hmm. to Santa Barbara, then to Hawaii, then to Samoa, then to Australia. So what one doesn't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, I'm going <laughs> to row across the Pacific Ocean. Give me a little <laughs> bit of your journey of what, obviously you were trying to challenge yourself. So tell me about what was going on in your mind that you decided the way I'm trying to challenge myself, this, this fits. Yeah, yeah. No, it really was like a bit of a light bulb moment when I found out about ocean rowing, and it, it basically, I yeah, I was looking for something for quite some time, and and you mentioned it at the start about you know climbing Everest, but for me, I was like, yeah, but that doesn't, it's not, excuse the pun, but it's not floating my boat because you know there's people that have done that, are doing that, and it's it's amazing, it's a great, but I'm not doing that. I didn't want something to be a tick box. That wasn't that wasn't what it was about for me. I was looking for something that I knew was going to take me out of my comfort zone, was going to be a blank canvas to what I knew. I wanted to learn something new. And it also, I wanted to be taken to a place where I was going to need to, it was going to take me to 
to a place where I was going to want to give up and I wanted to know what I was going to draw on at that point in time. And I didn't want to be able to give up. I didn't want to give myself an easy out, you know, kind of if you're on land, if you're, if we went with the row and we had a support boat next to us, like it's an easy out. I've given myself a choice there. I just didn't want the choice I needed. I wanted to stay like, how could we do this? And, and what would my mindset go through? So, Really when quick like, before you go on from there, I have a friend who yeah. wrote a book called Willpower Doesn't Work, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and mm-hmm. you need to meet him too, by the way. But the whole idea is willpower by nature, you will fail. But if you want to succeed, if you want to succeed at not eating junk food, you mm-hmm. you don't put junk food in your pantry. It's too easy to just say, well, just one more or just one more day. So it's it's creating an environment that forces the outcome that you want, which I, I love. I, I got to give a reference to that book there. Yeah, no, I've, I've just written it down. Thank you for that. I'll check it out. But I mean, on that note, you know, it's lead behaviors. Like, how do you set yourself up for success? Like, rather than exactly what you're saying there, kind of giving yourself too many choices and options to to fail at it. So when I kind of, it was random, it actually came through on a Facebook message from a friend of mine who knew that for a few years I was looking for something. At the time, I was quite uh, strongly involved in triathlons just on a personal front and so if it was anything that's to do with swimming biking running stuff then it was basically I was like wow well, it just isn't that bit different it just means I've just got to train a little bit more volume in one of those sports that I'm already doing so um when a friend of mine reached out and said look there's this girl that's looking to put a team together to row the Indian Ocean at the time would you be up for it? She's looking for me. I was like, oh my God, I've never heard of it. Oh, I've always wanted to learn to row. Like, I, I mean, I went to Oxford Brooks Uni and therefore was in Oxford, you know, Oxford, Cambridge rowing. Everybody knows how, how much they're hot on their rowing. So, but I never got to do it then because we were so full on with the course. So I always wanted to learn to row. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is it. This is it. And I specifically remember the next day I can visualize it. I was walking down the hill from my house and I was like, oh, my God, I can picture this. I can totally picture this is exactly what I wanted to do. So hence then it evolved. And then that road didn't happen. And I transfer. I, I kind of ended up continuing to develop it and was like, actually, nobody's road. Has anybody road the Pacific? And there's only one or two people. And I was like, but I mean, you know, and then somebody said to me about the race, New Ocean Wave race, which goes to Hawaii. And I was like, well, that's great, but that's only to Hawaii. Like, I can't say I've rode the Pacific. If I haven't rode the whole Pacific, is that going to be doable? And then I was asking more questions. It was like, actually, it would be, but it's just a bit longer and we have to do this. So it evolved and it just grew and grew. And and as you alluded to at the start, like, it should have taken, I thought not should, it, I thought it was only going to take a year to get to start line. Obviously, it was a massive row. That didn't happen. I was absolutely gutted. But then I kept, I had just had the drive to to want to keep going. The second year, we weren't quite there. Then the team fell apart because we'd already postponed it once. So fair enough. They couldn't commit for another year. And it was so and so, you know, it happened three years. We It failed in essence. And I was like, but there was something in me that kept on saying, there's going to be an all-female crew that are going to row this ocean in my lifetime. I can guarantee it. So why the heck can't it be me? What am I doing wrong? How do I see this from a different perspective? And that's where I started to then reach out to other people in my network to be like, I need your help, basically. I kind of, I'm clearly not seeing the right perspective. I'm seeing it through my own lens. I haven't got enough objectivity about this. How, how can I go about it? And each time I was pulling in more and more people, more expertise, and that's what evolved into 
what the road became. Um, and it was strength of the team around us to get us on that start line in the first place, which which made it happen, to be honest. Absolutely. Now, uh, one thing I'm interested about, because it's uh, there's also this balance between surrounding yourself with people who can help you achieve the goal that you want, but also not surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with people who are just going to tell you what you want to hear. And so yeah. what was the balance of that like? I mean, how many people, what was the percentage of people who told you, this is nuts, you're an idiot versus like, well, if you were <laughs> going to tackle this, here's how I'd suggest it. Yeah, I'd say it was pretty much 90% of you're an idiot versus 10% of let's figure this out. I mean, it, it is amazing about, you know, kind of going through it. I, even in those sort of first two, three years of trying to get the right team together and stuff, I was amazed. I honestly was like, I don't understand it. I do not understand how I can't find people with the same approach as me, the same. I, I just couldn't get it. Like, and it, it took me ages to sort of realize the different perspective and actually how people really rely on comfort and kind of their known and their own lens. And and yeah, and the, I mean, even in I love my family dearly. And my, my parents were amazing, absolutely phenomenal with kind of on reflection now, you know my mum pretending that she loved to see the boat when in actual fact it scared the living daylights out of her seeing how small it was in in her mind but she never said that to me you know because she didn't want to taint my my vision and and my feel with it but at the same time you know I remember specifically my my brother's very I'm sort of a bit more out there and, and he he's I mean works for McLaren like he's he's an engineer he's everything is very sort of ordered and it is systematic and um and he was like, well, you know, you need to get the money together. And, and he just didn't think it was going to happen. And I was like, well, no, it will happen. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, every so often we'd have a chat and he's like, ah, she isn't going to get the money. It's not going to happen. And then suddenly, obviously, you know, about two months out, I'm like, no, we are actually going, Adam. And he's like, oh, 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 OK. No, you've actually made this happen. <laughs> and so it's but even and that's as close to me to know me. So the amount of people that were like, well, you know, this this maybe isn't happening it's sort of not worked out to get to the start line but I think as well it grew legs because people saw the tenacity in me and kind of the belief and also how thorough I was trying to be to not leave a stone left unturned that that in itself changed that percentage to start you know rather than being 90 10 at the start with people not believing then by the time we did get to start line then you're a bit more like 50 50 kind of because they'd seen how much effort and work we'd put in and that we weren't gonna weren't gonna give up easily basically I love that. And again, you can see the whole journey in the documentary Losing Side of Shore. Uh, search it, find it. It's on Amazon Prime at the very least. It was on Netflix for a while. Uh, it's now on Amazon Prime. You know, the the I think the last thing we will talk about here in our last few minutes together is you your focus and a lot of your lessons through that experience as well as what our conversation has been has all about been all about uh, adaptable mindsets and i'm sure mm-hmm. your work with with athletes paralympians able-bodied athletes uh, adaptability especially uh in this marketplace i have to give a shout out i have a friend named ross who's from the uk she introduced you to he founded a mm-hmm. company that uh that created the adaptability index that it's actually something Brilliant. you can work on it's like a muscle you can become more adaptable and they do yeah. big corporate and, and entrepreneurial uh, engagements to help you figure out how to become more adaptable because the number one skill to survive in the future is absolutely adaptability so share with me a bit of your approach to adaptability and, and how you help uh, your athletes as well as yourself sort of find 
uh, find that balance of adaptability? Yeah. yeah, no, it's a great question. It's a great highlight as well because, I mean, it comes back to the core. We are, as human beings, we're, we, we've got adaptability as a skill set. Like, we've evolved as humans because we've adapted to survive. Like, when we take it as raw as survival, you have to adapt to survive. When when kind of it's all hitting the fan, like, the only ones that are going to survive are those that have adapted to find a different way and they've, they've moved with the change. Those that get stagnant don't. So when it's as simple as life or death, you have to adapt to overcome. Um but, you know, life as it is now is much more comfortable. It's kind of we've got so much choice. We've got so much at our fingertips, which is great. But as you were talking about, you know, even with your son, like kind of there's just so many options. There's so many ways. So, like, how do you sort of create that sort of adaptability in a in a in a world where, yeah, we've got lots of choice. And that's kind of where I guess, you know, I've reached out to go and do expeditions to put myself in a position to make me have to work on that skill set. Um, and and it, there is ways. You, you've only got to look at, I mean, Phelps is a good example. You're, you're a big swimmer. His coach, phenomenal coach. I, I, he's talked about how he sort of has done some work with Phelps in kind of um, – making him adapt like he had to so if his goggles were smashed or he left his goggles on the side for a you know a competition he would keep hold of them and be like well no sod it you need to do your competition without your goggles because you could be in the olympics and you know you get a crack in your glasses or something what are you going to do give up no you know it's the olympics you've got to compete so that there's ways that you can manipulate some of that adaptive behavior um and and I, but it is innate in us it's even in our physiology like you know we're all having vaccinations now with covid like because and then our physiology adapts to you know building the antibodies building that sort of whatever it you know whichever one you're going to go for but it, we have inoculations that that kind of our physiology adapts so our physiology adapts our as humans we've evolved in adapting in order to survive so therefore our mindset is only as restrictive as we want it to be and if you actually can set up your environment and your the the sort of the way to make you sort of adapt and not give yourself too much choice then that's the way that you start to see actually I'm just gonna I'm not just gonna go out and buy another I don't know a different thing instead I'm gonna figure out how I can work with what I've got in front of me if my laptop's not working well how do I use something else like if I can't communicate via zoom how else could I communicate I can communicate by phone I can write a letter there's multiple ways but you sort of got to see the fact of how much choice we've actually got out there and when you start to limit it it's like when you have a power cut in your house right and you suddenly you've lost electricity it's like oh my god how what are we going to do we haven't got electricity okay you go back to basics <laughs> you know you light a candle you sort of you figure out ways to keep yourself warm you put on layers that sort of thing there's ways that we can do it and it's it's interesting sometimes by artificially doing that in making ourselves you know not cook on the same cooker taking electricity away for a day and just figuring out ways that you cope with it um are very simple things in our day-to-day -day life that we can do to just draw on that that skill set of adaptability that we've got in ourselves. Uh, I absolutely love that. And and by the way, back to mindset. Um, if you can change your mindset to make it a game of how good are you really at your skill set whenever something goes 
awry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether, you know, you go to do a presentation somewhere and your computer, your entire presentation goes out. You, I mean, if you could learn to, in, to embrace that experience, like you'll be, you mm-hmm. will become so much better. It's just, it's so hard as human beings. Like we set our mind to something like we want it to go the way we want it to go. And so mm-hmm. I, I would encourage everyone to sort of gamify that when that happens, I, that Michael Phelps yeah. is coach genius. Like, yeah. no, you can't yeah. have your goggles figure it out, become better. I, I'm going to try as bad as I'm going to be. I'm going to try to say, Oh, an opportunity to get better than I ever thought I could be. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to gamify this. And I encourage that mindset. Um, real quick, last question really i love the fact that when you set out to row across the pacific yes that's insane but i'll say it again when you set out to row across the pacific you realize that um the outcome 200 and however many days later was going to be very determined way before day one rowing so you started working on uh weight training or weight gain training outfitting the boat properly and i love that you asked this question there is expertise out there how do I surround myself with that expertise? Like if you walk away with nothing else, just think of that. Anytime you want to accomplish something, there's expertise out there. How do I surround myself with that expertise? Tell me a little bit about the preparation for the journey in the last few minutes, I guess. What was harder? What did you think maybe that was easy that was harder than you thought it would be? Or what do you think was going to be super difficult that was maybe easier than you thought it would be? Yeah. Yeah, that's no, a good question. I think what I thought, what I thought was going to be easier was – getting the right team together I thought kind of actually if I saw it through my lens like you know and people that I had rapport with then that was the right thing but actually that wasn't enough I needed to bring in a psychologist I needed to bring in external advice on that to actually get more of a broader spectrum of different personalities and actually being able to see where somebody's strengths are in an area where I'm not strong enough so and that being what the team needed versus what I needed in order for us to be successful. So I think kind of that would be my biggest learning curve of what did I not see at the very start that I then learned from in that respect. Um, I think kind of, uh, what was the other, sorry, I've gone off on a tangent there. What was the other bit that you asked me there? Yeah, just what was harder than you thought it would be and what was easier than you thought it would be as you prepped for all that? Yeah, cool. So, and yeah, that was right. Sorry. And you were talking about surrounding yourself by the experts. And I guess that was it. When I started to reach out to my colleagues, it was amazing at the return that I got back. You know, I I think kind of it was, I don't ask for very much and I don't expect it. And therefore, but I suppose I'm in a role that I do give to other people. But yeah, I've never expected that. And to actually feel somebody being able to ask for help was really difficult. But then it was the most overwhelming feeling when it was given back and it was the easiest thing. So I thought it was difficult to ask for help. And actually, when I asked for it, it was in abundance. It was all there. It was all there around me. And it wasn't. And it really taught me to sort of go, actually, I don't need to hold all this information. I don't need to know every single bit about every single pathway of this because there's experts that know this so if I if I can just tap into that expert and that's not stealing their ideas or stealing their sort of you know expertise it's it's just about the success of the journey so as long as you can see that as collaborative and it's for the common goal to get to somewhere then then that to me is is one of the most powerful things. Uh, I love that and 
all of that is worth uh, listening to again. Uh, I think for sure we could we can accomplish so much more when we let go of the ego of having to do it all and find yeah. people who are specialists and experts. And it's actually way more fun when you just do what you're great at. It's and let exactly. everyone else do what they're great at. Um, Laura, thank you so much. Everyone should check out Losing Side of Shore. They should follow you on Instagram and whatever social comes up after this. Uh, that just search you, find you. Is there anywhere particularly you want to direct people if they want to learn more about how they can work with you? Yeah, you can head to head to my website, so adaptive-performance.com. Um, otherwise, yeah, reach out on social media, just my name, Laura Penhall, um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever works for people. But um, yeah, reach out. I'm always happy to, to answer any questions. Excellent. Well, thank you as always for uh, your time. Can't wait to do some more work with you. And I highly encourage everyone to go check yeah. out Losing Side of Shore. I'm excited to see uh, what you do next. Thanks for joining me on this new episode of Now to Next. And we will see everyone next time. Take care. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. <laughs>